Hey, it's Andrea. Today, we geek out about period costumes. We meet a sentient hologram, and we don't bat an eyelash when Pulaski gets kidnapped. Stay tuned and find out why. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we're talking about possibly one of the best episodes ever, ever of Star Trek TNG, possibly. I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a big claim, but I think certainly one of the best episodes of season two, this is season two, episode three, Elementary Dear Data. It was written by Brian Allen Lane, directed by Rob Bowman, and the star date is 42286.3. Cherise, Mm -hmm. this is the data holodeck sherlock holmes trifecta of joy how psyched were you about this episode i I love this episode this is just such a good one i really like this episode i'm excited for us to talk Mm. about it today oh definitely all right let me just jump right in so here's what's happening in elementary dear data when the crew has a bit of leisure time Jordy laforge and commander data go to the holodeck to recreate a sherlock holmes mystery Data, playing Holmes, has memorized all of the Holmes stories and recognizes and solves the mysteries within minutes. Frustrated, Jordy leaves the holodeck, leaving Data confused. Jordy later explains that the fun is in solving the unknown, but Data doesn't understand that concept. Overhearing their conversation, Dr. Pulaski asserts that Data is incapable of solving a mystery to which he does not already know the outcome. Data accepts her challenge and invites her to join them on the holodeck. There, Jordy instructs a computer to create a unique Sherlock Holmes mystery with an adversary who's capable of defeating Data. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. I feel like that's how all of our synopsis should end. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's get a sound effect in there someday. (laughs) On it. On it. It'll be there. It'll be there next week. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I do have I do have some trivia. Uh, Actually, I have a lot of trivia and deep dives. Um, Those of you who enjoy the deep dives. Um. I'm going to try to sprinkle those throughout, but Mm -hmm. to start off, Elementary Dear Data was nominated for two Emmys. This episode, yeah, for Outstanding Art Director, so like set director, Mm -hmm. costume design. Beautifully Um, done. Beautifully uh, done. It was just so great. It was, I mean, you're going from this like sharp, you know, cold aesthetic Mm -hmm. like clean you know of the enterprise Mm -hmm. to these like overstuffed armchairs books on every shelf knickknacks everywhere you know it's just a smoky london it's just a different Mm -hmm. completely different world and it translated so beautifully on screen yeah totally and so um clearly you guys can hear how our overview kind of is already going like our our big thought (laughs) is that this episode's beautiful it's amazing it was just a joy to watch and actually this was the uh, we've seen the holodeck quite a bit in the first season, and that was a new addition in TNG. Mm-hmm. There was no holodeck in the original series, thanks to one of our guests letting us know that because we didn't know. Um, and <laughs> so we've had a few, we've seen the holodeck several times. However, this is the only the second episode that takes place almost entirely in the holodeck. The other one was the big goodbye, which was kind of like a 20s time. And now we're back in the 1800s in London. Mm-hmm. And oh my gosh, the costumes, the smokiness, the little like chemistry sets. Oh yeah. It's just so delicious. Even just the sounds of like the heels clip clopping on the, on the like on cobblestone. The cobblestone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, um, it's amazing. So um, it, it's interesting that you bring up the good, the big goodbye, because after how much fun everybody had writing and filming the big goodbye, the crew was like, okay, in season two, we absolutely need to do another one. And so 
uh, I was reading that like one of the writers had said, like, it wasn't even like a conscious decision that somebody was like, hmm, let's make another holodeck episode. It just everything sort of fell into place, like data in season one, kind of with the magnifying glass and the mm-hmm. smoking pipe mm-hmm. and then how much fun they had in the first episode in the first season with the big goodbye it they said it just kind of like wrote itself like it just sort of like appeared to everyone at the same time like this is the next natural step so it was it was uh, it was just such a great episode um so should we just jump right on in yeah let's do it so it opens up with Jordy saying urgent urgent i need to see data and data's like what's going on and he comes in and he sees that da- that Jordy has built this incredible model ship yes of an old ship called the victory which i know nothing about and i'm guessing andrea you maybe have done a deep dive on what the heck that is but <laughs> whatever an old ship and it's just it's gorgeous it's huge it must have taken forever for like yes. an actual model builder to actually build that or maybe they fabricated it i don't know what they did but but my point is is when i wa- when i saw that i was like oh it's glad to see i'm glad to see that model making is still a hobby in the 24th century because that's like <laughs> such a a thing you know so that was kind of cool yeah you know what i wish i would have done a deep dive on that oh now i feel like i missed an opportunity but we <laughs> do know. have some opportunities Dang it. The episode. <laughs> <laughs> so so jordy does say like i served as an ensign on the uss victory so it's a gift for the captain that i served with and i love that data is surprised he's like this isn't replicated He's Mm -hmm. like, no, that's the whole point of giving a gift like this. You make it by hand. And I just, I did think to myself as a, you know, as if Jordy had made it, I was like, the amount of time you must spend like untangling little fine, like Mm -hmm. cords to tie Mm -hmm. the lines and all that. Like, it was just, it was so beautiful. It was beautiful. And, and I love that they have a couple of days to wait for the victory to show up. So they've got nothing to do, but just sit around and have fun. Mm -hmm. And, and I love that when Jordy says like, oh, I did call you here for a reason other than the victory, which mm-hmm. also, why are you working on this model ship in main engineering? That's you have weird. quarters. Yep. You have quarters and stuff for that. I agree. I, I was kind of like, weird. Why is, why is that like in the middle of your office? Like where people work and anyone could stumble and fall into it. There's no <laughs> force field around it or glass shield. However, I can appreciate it from the standpoint of, I, I really like when Star Trek kind of appreciates old technology Mm -hmm. And they're just like, man, this was amazing because you know what? It was amazing. Like it is amazing. Ships that can have all these people and somehow not sink planes that are in the air and somehow not fall. And, you know, spaceships traveling through intergalactic space. Like these are, they're all amazing. And so um, I really could also see that just the the engineering of such a device could be really appreciated in engineering more than anywhere else in the ship, you know, where other people could be like, Ooh, look at that. Or just like, Oh, it's coming across. I could see that. I could see that other kind of people who would, who would value that work. So it's weird. And also, okay. Yeah. You know what? I could, I could see that. I could see that because it would be weird if you see him like struggling to build it for like months at a time in main engineering. And you're like, dude, can you take your shit like somewhere (laughs) else where like is maybe more appropriate for like, bags and bags of little teeny tiny parts to be like mm-hmm. hanging around he brought it seemed like he just brought it in when it was like finished right right to like show so i mean i guess mm-hmm. i guess i could say all right jordy we'll cut you slack this time don't let it happen again <laughs> um but jordy does say like hey so this is my idea fun we're gonna go do your idea fun and then brings out the pipe and even though i knew it was the sherlock holmes episode bringing mm-hmm. out the pipe i was like ah like I just was like, it's happening. Like I was so effing excited. Yeah. And you see data's <laughs> face light up and he's just like, 
Sherlock Holmes. And they're like, let's go to the holodeck. And they just yeah. rush off. And then that other person in engineering is like, oh, where can I find you if I need to call you? And and Data replies with, he'll be at 21B Baker Street. Yeah, 221B. Like, okay. Yeah. And she's like, oh, okay, wait, what? <laughs> wait, you know, she's, she's kind of like, oh, I get it. And then she like was like, wait, that I don't even know what you're talking about. And she kind of looks <laughs> over and they're gone. They're like totally out of the room in the 10 seconds it took her to turn back around. Well, the, did you catch the music too? It's like whimsical and light and totally Data's going, this time. oh my gosh, if you guys watch this episode, if you happen to catch our review before you watch the episode, just keep an eye out for that little musical bit that's going on in the background because Data's going, yeah, you can find us at 221B Baker Street and the music is just like whimsy all over. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I love this. You know, and then we cut to credit and it's, and it's like, oh, this episode is so much fun. <laughs> so they show up to the holodeck and I have to immediately talk about their costumes. Oh my God. I geeked out so hard about their costumes. Jordy's tweed suit is amazing. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I particularly love is Data is wearing an era-appropriate smoking jacket. And there are, like, I did a deep dive. Like, I'm a huge, huge Downton Abbey fan, so I already know about smoking jackets and these other robes called dressing gowns, which are, like, similar to bathrobes. Like, it looks like he's just wearing a fancy bathrobe. Mm-hmm. But smoking jackets were a thing that men wore over their nice clothes after dinner so that when they went to, like, smoke their cigars, which were very popular, the ash mm-hmm. wouldn't fall on those shirts and the jackets that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. So they would put on a smoking jacket. And then smoking jackets became, like, more and more elaborate. And then they mm-hmm. became, like, just as fancy as the other clothes. So it became more of, like, a fashion statement. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I was like, oh, my God. Like, I kept pausing to look at his his smoking jacket. I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap. Where, where did costuming even find something like that? Mm-hmm. That oh, they was amazing. Maybe they did. I don't know. If anybody knows anything about costuming, please let us know. Because... Mm-hmm. Because amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you notice that whenever they have a holodeck episode, they have that bit where the holodeck door closes and then the background fades to whatever. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I I love that trick. And it still looks so good, like, 35 years later. So I love that. Yeah. I That never gets old. Yeah. It never gets old. And and I, I'm, I'm just so tickled by the fact that 30, 35 years later, that effect still looks great because mm-hmm. you know sometimes things don't age that great when well, you I mean, when you're talking cgi when we have our stunt doubles in uh TNG, oh my god like, yeah. Oof. they did not they did not know high def tv was coming right like <laughs> there's some parts where we're like oh that's that's not great but this one this one's great like this yeah. effect of the dissolving arch or the dissolving exit looks super awesome <sighs> looks so good all right so so inspector lestrade comes in and he's got this like mystery which of course data's already memorized them all so he's just like you'll find that the, you know he just immediately goes mm-hmm. into like here's all the solutions and i love that jordy's frustration he had like a temper tantrum and stormed out total tantrum he slams his book shut and data's like what and then he stands up and he's like exit while he like yells it in Data's face, and it's like what? And then yeah, it's like, so weird. I'm leaving and just storms out. Yeah, it was like there was no there was no build up to that explosion right there. He just got mad and just snapped and just said, yeah. "I don't want to play anymore." And threw his toys down and ran off. He left the sandbox in quite a huff. Mm-hmm. And I just thought Data and Jordy have this friendship. Yeah, and Jordy like has friendship. Mm-hmm. yes, and Jordy already has spent a lot of time like explaining human nature kind of 
crap to data. Right. So you would think like, oh, he just doesn't understand. Like, let me explain this to him. But instead he was like, I'm done and storms off. And I was yeah. like, what? That's ve- that was Didn't very make out sense. of character because Jordy doesn't really throw tantrums anyways. Right. That's not his, that's no. not his character. He's not a, he's not a, I quit kind of a person. Yes. So what, yeah, that's totally true. This was a little like a weird thing out of character. And I think that the reason why they did that is because they wanted them to go to 10 forward so that we could introduce Dr. Pulaski. Cause why? I don't know. Um, <laughs> because she becomes like a, you know, a, an important character in the storyline. But um, another way they could have done it is just for Jordy to be like, you know what? This isn't working. Um, this is not how the game is supposed to go. Let's mm-hmm. go to 10 forward and let's talk about it. And then we could try again. Like, he yeah. could have kind of done something like this, but th- that would have been out of character, too, because normally he would just tell him in the moment. And then Data would have just adjusted in the moment, and Jordy would have just changed the program in the moment, yeah. and they would have just kept yeah. going. There would be no need to, like, stop and go to another location on the ship to come back to that same location. So, like, like an hour later. That, yeah, all of that was just to kind of rope in Pulaski, because you see in the next scene, they're in 10 forward, and now this is totally in character, where Jordy's just saying, like, I'm not mad at you. I'm just trying to explain why this is frustrating mm-hmm. and what fun looks like. And like, that mm-hmm. is actually totally on character. Like that's exactly what Jordy would do. Um, and then we've have Pulaski who we all know I don't love. And she's being a total dick as usual <laughs> and chimes into their conversation <laughs> to be like, it's just impossible for his processors to understand. Yes. I feel like, I feel like she's super rude to data because he won't fight back in the way that anybody else on that show yeah. would fight back and be like, yeah. excuse me. You know? Yeah, they would they would tell her to put a hypo spray where the sun don't shine or something to be like, <laughs> shove it up your ass, Pulaski. Yeah, she is. She is. She is very d- dismissive of him. Um, but I want to back up just really quick before we go to 10 forward. As Jordy is having this temper tantrum and leaving. Yeah. I don't know if you catch this and the line was cut out and I've never caught it before. And I went, wait, I had to back up and hear it twice. Data says as he's chasing Jordy out into the hallway, but Jordy, I was about to reveal that the sir is a madam. <laughs> and oh, I see that part. Yes, because it says, but Jordy, I was about to reveal that the sir is, a, and then the holodeck door is shut. So all you hear is ma, and that's it. And I went, oh my God. Like, I love that he's about to be like, that's a woman. Like, instead of a, I, I thought that I've never heard that before. I had never caught that. I was like, wait. Oh, that's hilarious. And so that was and, fun. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing I didn't mention is that Jordy's British accent is terrible. Oh. It's so bad. But that's actually what makes it kind of cute and funny, too, because that, like, in real life, I have a lot of friends whose accents are terrible. And so that kind of makes it like it's kind of a glimpse into a real friendship, which I thought was very cute. And also yeah. kind of weird because they're actors. So I just assume they can all do all accents at any time. But um, well, I think that's it was, like a training you actually get. You know what? But I, I disagree. I think that LeVar Burton could probably do an amazing British accent. However, Jordy probably can't do a very good accent. Right. Mm, so LeVar Burton as Jordy. Right. Like, I think the whole bit was that Jordy is supposed to sound very out of place. Right. So I and think if we supposed to fit in because he's a robot. He's yeah, he's a robot. Like, and he can do, do the perfectly. clipped London accent. Sure. So they're in 10 forward. You know, Jordy's trying to say, hey, you know, there's no fun in it if you already know the answers. Like, there's just no fun. And then Pulaski overhears, right? And she says, your artificial friend doesn't have a prayer of solving a mystery he hasn't read. And my initial thought was, um, I'm if I were data, I'd be like, I'm right here. 
like you don't right. have to talk Please about me. about me in the third person when I'm like two feet a front and when I'm actually sitting literally between you and the person you're talking to about me. So you can't like <laughs> pretend like you didn't see me right here in the middle. Yeah. Also, I'm stark white from top to bottom. So I'm hard to miss. Right? Furthermore, <laughs> are you sitting at our table? No. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Get back in your own business, lady. But yes. This would have been the great time to pull out the childhood. This is an A-B conversation. So see your way out of it. You know, like just get out. <laughs> back to your wine or whatever. Um, but she, you know, so she does issue the challenge. Like, I bet you can't solve a mystery that you don't already know the answer to. Mm-hmm. So they invite her in. And I and I did think when she showed up to the holodeck, her outfit was again, her her costume was spectacular. spectacular. It, it must have cost mm-hmm. it must have cost so much money to create that costume. It was, yeah, um, it was gorgeous. It was, it gorgeous. was beautiful. And it then when beautiful. they come back into the holodeck and they kind of, you know, Jordy gives that command to make a, um, somebody who's worthy of data. Mm-hmm. And we see that the, the holodeck kind of changes. It goes from just like that kind of happy go lucky London that it was a minute ago to a little more dark and creepy. Yes. We've got drunk people stumbling around. We've got like prostitutes, prostitutes. We've got yeah. people all dirty and hungry and like sketchy yeah got fog out of the wazoo and i was just like oh this set is so cool yes (laughs) it's super creepy oh my god like if i could tour one set i think it would probably be first of all the enterprise but like the enterprise (laughs) in this episode you know where you can like go to the bridge and 10 forward and all that stuff but Mm -hmm. then you get to like see that like the holodeck set it's just it's so it's so great. And I love how the show just makes it feel so natural for a Starfleet officer who wears that like very clean cut costume to make it just look normal to see them like, you know, Data in, a, uh, in like his tweed, you know, mm-hmm. deerstalker cap and pipe and all that. Like these things that don't fit in in the 24th century, mm-hmm. but they make it just effortlessly like blend in. And that, I, that's harder to do than I think we think it is like it's harder mm-hmm. it's harder than it looks mm-hmm. anyway so Jordy says like hey we need to create an opponent that is capable of defeating data and so moriarty does become sentient or mm-hmm. sentient i don't mm-hmm. quite know how to pronounce that but I'm we know what i mean they're okay. both right mm-hmm. okay there we go and so this is when we see that shift that you talked about in london and he discovers the arch which i was like uh-oh <laughs> That's never a good sign. Bum, bum, bum. But here's the thing. He discovers the arch before they make him sentient. Yes. And I, I caught that like, too. I was like, okay, that's another. I mean, it's kind of like with the big goodbye. They're still working out what are the holodeck rules, right? Because they're because this is their second time doing a full holodeck episode. So they're still kind of saying, well, what can and can't you do in a holodeck? I don't know. You know, because they're still kind of working it out. So in this episode, the characters are aware of things like the arch because after he becomes sentient, he goes, oh, I remembered that that dark-skinned fellow said Arch. Like, how did he even know he was a dark-skinned fellow? Because um, Watson was a white guy. So, yeah. like, he shouldn't have been able to see that distinction even before that. Um, and then when he says the Arch, the other character he's with is like, whoa, what's that? That's dark magic. And she runs away. But in yes. future descriptions of, like, how the holodeck works, um, characters in the holodeck are not, they don't comprehend anything outside of their generated world so they would not be able to see an arch they would not they would not be able to see people beam in and out or any of that stuff so they hadn't worked that out yet yeah you know what that i'm glad that you discussed that because that was that was the next thing i was going to say is how does moriarty see the arch before they make him a worthy Mm -hmm. opponent to data Mm -hmm. and why does the woman see the arch 
too. As like well. that yeah. to me was like, huh, that doesn't that doesn't yeah. make any sense. So they hadn't, um, they hadn't made the rule yet. <laughs> but I think yeah. after this episode, they make the rule <laughs> that like if you're in the hol- holodeck character, you're not aware of things that are not in your program. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so they're walking along and Dr. Pulaski is abducted and Data deduces who carries her away. And I do like that we see a smidge of that Sherlock deduction process because I feel like as a as a fan of Sherlock Holmes and like I'm a huge fan of the BBC, like Benedict Cumberbatch, like Sherlock as well. Mm-hmm. You when you when he describes and explains his deducing process, it's mm-hmm. always just like such a delight to hear all it that. It is. And somehow it doesn't make me feel stupid. And I'm also like, I would have never guessed that in a million years. Like, I never get it. Yes. I, I mean, I mean, of course, I'm not going to see like the things under their fingernails or the rubber on their shoes or anything from the audience's standpoint. But even if I had, it would mean nothing to me. So that's yes. always really fascinating where they're like, well, obviously you see this and you see that. And that's why yes. and you're like, huh, those okay. connections, those connections are so interesting. And in the BBC version, um, Sherlock does say as ever Watson, you look, but you do not see, or you see, but you do not look. That's one or the other. Mm-hmm. And it's really just saying like, you're, you're seeing all of the same things I mm-hmm. see, but you're not making any connections. And poor Watson uh, to, to get a peek into his diary must be like, Sherlock made me feel stupid again or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, his therapist is like, tell me how he made you feel bad again. <laughs> but anyway, that's, yeah. So I, I love that we got a little taste of that, you know, and it's, it's always done just the right amount. So it's not like, oh, here he goes again with this like long-winded explanation. You're so right with that, Andrea, because it could have turned into like every 10 seconds, he's just like doing this, but they just yeah. kind of sprinkle it in mm-hmm. and and they also sprinkle in, sprinkle in data. It's not just Sherlock. It's data. Like there's times when he's like, oh, this way, you know, and then Jordy's like, wait, how do you know that? And then he just kind of switches into data. And he's like, oh, well, the reason why I know that, Jordy, is because, da-da-da. you know, and he's, it's like data being data in the yes. Sherlock costume. And that's kind of neat, too, like that kind of back that, and forth. Yes, we get that lovely juxtaposition. Um, I was actually going to take a little clip for us to like listen to. But I mean, you totally called it right there like that's exactly it he goes from his like london accent and and like sherlock mannerisms to just being data and being like well jordy i thought that was part of the fun right okay mm-hmm. and then he's like back into it and then he goes back so, into character and they're in character yes. until they're like i think something's wrong and then they're not yes. character anymore <laughs> and then it's point, time to leave like, yeah at this point they're kind of bouncing and he's bouncing in and out and and jordy is playing a perfect watson as jordy because he's going how do you know that how the heck do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so since we are talking Sherlock, I do want to. I did a little deep dive on on Sherlock Holmes. That I wanted to share. So, um, although not the first fictional detective, Sherlock Holmes is arguably the best known. So, by the 1990s, there were all a crazy number of adaptations for like film, TV productions, magazines, video games. Over twenty five thousand adaptations of Sherlock Holmes. And so he, and so Sherlock Holmes is listed in the Guinness book of world records as the most portrayed literary human character in film and television history. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Right. I know. I was like Arthur Conan Doyle still, you know, his estate is still making that money, I guess. So the first set of Holmes stories was published in 1887 and 1893. And Arthur Conan Doyle, the, the author killed him off in a battle with Moriarty um, mm-hmm. in, in, a, Falls. in the Reichenbach Falls. Yeah. And, and, and the only way to defeat Moriarty is for them to both go over the fall. So Sherlock mm-hmm. dies as well. So Conan Doyle felt that quote, my literary energies should not be directed too much into just one channel. So he wanted to like write other things, mm-hmm. but the public 
reaction to Sherlock Holmes' death. Yeah, it was basic. Yes. Mm -hmm. So 20 killing Harry Potter and leaving him dead. Not cool. Yes. Not yes, cool. And I'm absolutely. glad J.K. Rowling decided not to go that direction because I would have oh my god! after all those books and all yep. those years and all yep. that investment in the character and then you just kill them. You cannot do that, sir. Doyle. A hundred... <laughs> <laughs> you cannot do that. 100%. So uh, Sherlock Holmes stories were published in the Strand magazine. And so the magazine suffered 20,000 cancellations, like almost immediately <laughs> to their subscriptions. Do they sue uh, his estate? <laughs> like- <laughs> so, so yeah, so 20,000 people, more than 20,000 people canceled their subscriptions to the Strand magazine in protest. And then Arthur Conan Doyle himself received a ton of protest letters. And one lady even began the letter with you brute. <laughs> and then wrote the letter. So, and then also this hasn't been, this hasn't been, um, fully vetted, but legend has it that Londoners were so distraught upon hearing the news of Holmes' death that they wore black armbands in mourning, even though like it, it's a fictional character. So but a beloved fictional character. Very I beloved. Get that. I get that. I get really, when it's a good story, I get really invested in the character and them getting their whatever the goal is. And if it's multiple stories, if it happens yes. over a long time and someone like Sherlock Holmes, who's got story after story after story, and then just dies. You're like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. It's so upsetting. Well, even Arthur Conan Doyle couldn't leave him dead because of how upset everybody was. But he, so he wrote another story where Sherlock comes back and he's like, psych, I wasn't actually dead. I just did it to like throw everybody off the side. However, he did not write that story until eight years later. <laughs> so people had to wait eight effing years thinking that this character's dead the whole time. So anyway, that was that was my deep dive that okay. I did on Sherlock. Okay. I love that we're doing like a review of Elementary Dear Data and a, <laughs> a review of BBC Sherlock. Well, because I thought a lot about the BBC version during this episode because um, as, as Data was explaining, like Moriarty is the worst, you know, nemesis that Sherlock ever had and the only way to beat him is by sacrificing his own life mm-hmm. and like we all know that's not going to happen Data's not going to have to sacrifice his life to save Pulaski so how are they going to get out of this pickle that's a that's a super good point okay so they do so to answer that they they follow Moriarty to his lair and Moriarty makes it clear that he knows more than any holographic character should, should. know mm-hmm. yeah and he gives data a piece of paper who storms out now it's data storming out of the holodeck mm-hmm. and jordy's like but data but data you know and he's like chasing him down the hallway reveal the sir is a madam yeah <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> absolutely so he shows finally you know jordy catches up with data in the hallway and he shows jordy the paper and did you notice Jordy had to be looking at the paper upside down because he flipped it over and it was right side up for the audience to see. Oh, so he no, I thought he turned it around. No, I no, no. Notice I noticed it. it. I noticed it. And then I kind of paused it and looked at like the outline of the Enterprise from the other side of the paper. And I was like, mm-hmm. son of a bitch, it's upside down. Like this poor actor is like, what does it mean? And he's staring at an upside down Enterprise. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Um, but yeah, that was a little catch that I noticed. Mm-hmm. The um, that was like a little bit I weird. I noticed was that you cannot take the paper off of the holodeck because it's a holographic piece Oh of my paper. God, you're right. <laughs> so that's what I noticed. I was like, what? Where's he going with that? How is that still in his hand? <laughs> like, oh my gosh. You cannot take out a holographic piece of paper from the holodeck, people. Oh my, you're, you're so right. <laughs> I was so focused on the fact that like... He, 
poor LeVar Burton was looking at this upside down enterprise <laughs> that I totally forgot. Like, oh yeah, that shouldn't even be out there anyway. Although with Moriarty now being sentient and what I, he's still I don't not know. corporeal. That's he's, true. He's sentient. So he knows he's, so he knows he's not corporeal. Like he knows he's not mm-hmm. a real person. He's mm-hmm. not a real boy, right? He knows he's made out of light <laughs> and force fields. That's all that that means. That doesn't mean he now has physical matter that can exist outside the holodeck. So whatever. That was another piece of the holodeck rules that was like, Whoa-oh. but um, they'll get better yeah. at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they go to the observation lounge and Jordy is realizing like, oh my God, I said an opponent capable of defeating data. And two things stood out to me right away. Jordy says, oh my God which is a very current times thing to say. And I'm like, would they still say, oh my God. And then Picard very, very quietly says, merde. <laughs> so he says Does shit he? again in French. And he goes, man, if you, if you go back and watch that scene, mm-hmm. he just sort of says it under his breath. And then it cuts to like Troy and, and, and Riker, mm-hmm. like, you know, staring at Picard and just being like, shit, what are we going to do? But yeah, Picard says shit in French, which Every time he swears, it tickles me. Every, <laughs> every single time. So during the um, scene, while they're just like sitting there, I'm waiting for Worf to be like, what? This is a huge security risk or something. Um, and eventually they do talk about the security. But for a long time, they're just all staring. Just kind of staring. I was like, this is like a big deal, people. Like Pulaski's been kidnapped and good riddance. Oh, actually, that's what I put in my notes. I was like, that's what riddance. I thought. And then I was that's like, wait, no, the ship does need a doctor. <laughs> we actually do need a, we only have the one doctor on this entire that's, ship. That is true. Well, Jordy does say like, oh, I can, you know, break off a piece of the beam from the matter, matter, antimatter chamber and like direct it, whatever. And it'll wipe everything out. And they say, well, what about Dr. Pulaski? And he goes, <laughs> well, the beam does like tear apart human flesh. And I went, sounds like a suitable risk to me. Let's go with that <laughs> Yeah. When I heard that part, I was like, why did you even present this date I know, Jordan, I know like why did you present this option to be like yeah that'll get rid of all the holograms oh and it'll also completely destroy Pulaski which is the whole point of getting rid of the holograms yeah like, man like <laughs> no that's not a good plan yes why did you even Yes. Yes. It's like, go, it's like going in to the doctor and being like, I have strep throat. And they're like, great. We're going to kill the strep throat by decapitating you. It's like, what? <laughs> Why would that be something that you suggest? Maybe but it go, will maybe... kill the strep. And you're like, um, no, let's not do that suggestion. So anyways, um, but Captain Picard, as he often does, is like, I better take charge of the situation. And he goes, to the holodeck, dressed up in his top hat and everything. And I was like, oh, like again, again, seeing these characters in their mm-hmm. costumes. Just and he like pops out. it out before he puts yes, it on, Yes, he right? pops like, his top hat out. Yes, which I was like, what is the purpose of flattening a top hat? And does it destroy the hat? I don't know. I needed to do a deep dive on that, but ran out of time because I had a whole bunch of others. this couldn't be just deep dives i guess but um so moriarty makes it clear that he's got control of the ship's navigation and stability Mm -hmm. um so he keeps he has that amazing steampunk like machine that he's built Mm -hmm. and as a big fan of steampunk myself i was like look at all the like gauges and knobs and dials and the crank and oh like just Mm -hmm. nerd out moment big time it was so Mm -hmm. good it was so good yeah and like one of the things they say in the observation lounge where Picard's like, what does, what does Moriarty need to actually be a threat to us? And data says time, like just give him some time. He's going to figure it out because he's a criminal genius. Um, and it was just like, yeah. okay, that's kind of scary. Like we don't have time to wait. Then let's go ahead and let's go ahead and handle it. And like shortly after he says that, that's when the whole ship shakes and you're like, Oh, he's already, he's already had too much time apparently because now yeah. he's getting control of the actual, you know, attitude 
of the ship, which is mm-hmm. crazy. So yes, yeah, so they go and I loved all the as a scientist, I loved all the little um beakers of just oh. colored liquid. I was just yep. like, oh, and they're like all <laughs> dusty. So like, you know, they've been like in there. I don't know. I just love that. Oh, it's great. Well, I mean, even the secret lair being in that like behind kind a bookshelf. Of like a, yeah, behind a bookshelf in like a grain storage dumpy little yeah. place mm-hmm. and the whole wall is the bookshelf and then suddenly you're in this like beautiful i mean the only word i could think of it was a lair it's a, and i mm-hmm. thought it's a lair and my next thought was i want a lair i want like a secret lair right <laughs> i don't know what i would do. i'd put my peloton in there and just do my workouts i guess <laughs> it wouldn't be that exciting i don't know it wouldn't be i need to work on my evil lair. you know That's what i'm just known as a workout room <laughs> what I think you're thinking of. <laughs> you know, an listen, Sharice, I want a lair. I want an evil lair and I want a secret entrance. Okay. It doesn't seem too much to ask for, you know, a woman in 2020. Can I get a secret lair? <laughs> so Picard kind of fell back on the same thing that he did in the big goodbye, where he's like, I'm going to cut straight to the chase. You are a holographic character. We live in the 24th century. We're aboard a starship. Like none of these things that would make sense to anybody from that Time. Right, except for that Moriarty already knew all that stuff. Yeah, before, yeah. Before Picard even walked in, because he was explaining that to Pulaski, he was like, "I understand this. I understand that. I know this. I know that." And Pulaski was going, "I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Let me have another sip of tea." And I was just like, "Oh, stop talking to this lady." Um, <laughs> but it was cool to see his his deductive reasoning, right? As Moriarty, where he was saying, "Everything you don't say speaks volumes." I know this. I know that. And I would have actually loved to see a little bit more from Moriarty of the deductive reasoning, the way we saw yes. from Sherlock. So I would have loved just like a little, a few more lines of him being like, the fact that you say X or don't say Y means this and it means this and it means this and it means this. But instead he just falls back to like, well, the computer told me everything, but I would have loved to see him do that deduct that thing where you're just like, oh snap. Like even without her talking the way she's sitting or the way she's holding herself or the fact that she agreed. Yeah. Or the fact that she wasn't surprised, like because you weren't surprised, I know that it's, you know, whatever, like that would have been kind of like, Oh snap. That would have been, that would have been great. You're right. Because it it's, it's, you know, data has already given us his deductive reasoning. And so you're Mm -hmm. like, Ooh, you're like way up here. Mm -hmm. I would like Moriarty to show us what he can do as well. So that it tells us as an audience that he's not just like a threatening figure because he's a, like a A bad guy, a bad guy. Yeah. But he's like the intellectual equal equal to data. Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of terrifying for a person who has like nefarious, goals in mind yeah that would that would have been really cool but instead he was just like the computer told me and it was like "Uh, womp womp yeah did you notice he said computer yes that what the hell was that i was like you why no voice why would you say mr computer well so here's here's my okay i did catch that and i was like mr computer Uh uh-uh the computer is a female voice number one but the reason that i think that Moriarty calls it Mr. Computer is because the computer he never talks to the computer. The he computer never the computer's speaks. Voice. He does not hear the computer's voice. And then being a man from the you know 19th he century, he mm-hmm. would assume. I thought, why would you assume a machine is a, like you would say Mr. Computer if a computer talks to you in a man's voice, and you're like, oh, Mr. Computer, right? But if you don't ever hear the voice, why would you assign like a gender to it? That At is all, so yeah. weird. Mm-hmm. That is so weird to me. Anyway, but. Picard comes in and he like kind of gives it to him straight. And he's like, you know, you're made of like hollow emitters and all this stuff. So you can't actually exist out, you know, and also you're taking over my ship and shit. So we can't have that either. And Moriarty goes, but I've changed. And I rolled my eyes. Cause I was like, what woman hasn't heard a man say I've changed. I've changed like a dozen times. Like, no, you haven't. And you well, won't. <laughs> but I love his argument of how he's changed though, because he's saying like, I was, he, he compares himself to data, not to Sherlock, but to data. And mm-hmm. he says, does data have life? And, and he's like, yes, of course he has life. He was a computer, but now he's more. And he says, so am I. 
I was just a program, but now I'm more, I'm more than my program. I'm now sentient. I know my place in the world, you know, to some degree and my goals have all changed. I don't care about games. I don't care about winning. I don't care about all that stuff. Like I, I want to explore this new reality. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that Moriarty has changed in the sense that his main goal is not to be like some super villain in his lair for the rest of his life, right? His goal is like, Ooh, what's this new world? Like I want to explore it. So in that sense, it's changed. However, his means to achieve that goal stay very much the same. Like he's got a success strategy that works for him. So if he's not getting what he wants, he's just going to take a hostage. He's going to just, you know, hurt somebody. <laughs> he's going to, he's just going to do what he does, you know? So I yes. feel like his goals have totally changed and his methods have not changed. So that's kind of the, like, I've changed, I've changed. is like a little bit true, a little bit not true, you know? Mm. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, gr- growing growing that, like, self-awareness, like, is mm. definitely, you know, like, not written in, like, was not written in the stars for Moriarty as a character initially. And having that extra, he's like, okay, like, now I understand more. But you're right. Like, he's like, I'm just going to, like, you know, steal your ship if you don't, don't give do me what I, I want. Mm-hmm. He is, he is the most um, dignified and, like, hostess with the mostest hostage taker I've ever seen. He's Seriously. like, can I give you tea? Can I give you some crumpets? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, he's okay. Really, I mean, yeah. He's a really refined kidnapper. I have to yes. say. Yes. Um, better than the people who kidnapped the kids in season one. Because yes. they were kind of like, they kidnapped them and they were like, I'm your new mother now. And you're like, what? <laughs> so he didn't, he didn't try to do something weird like that. Um, but like, yes. Call me mother. I'm your husband now. Like, what yeah. are you talking about? He didn't do anything weird, but yeah, he's, he's like a really like, and also he's dignified in kind of like the way that he threatens, you know, yes. he's kind of like, well, you know, cause when data says, is Dr. Pulaski hurt? And he's like, no, but she will be if she has to be, you know, it's just mm-hmm. very kind of like very polite and very, very like, sociopathic. Yeah. yeah. Very sociopathic. Yeah. But not angry. Yeah. Like he's never angry or out of control, which makes him more scary and dangerous. That's, Cause you're like, that is, that is what makes a ter- That's what makes the Borg so terrifying. They will wipe you out without barely trying they're, it's like they're, there's most of them are still recharging in their fucking ports and they're like taking over your planet and destroying everything, you know, right? Like <laughs> it's that, that like sort of self-control is what's like truly terrifying and, and a really good villain. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said though, it, what you said a second ago really like made me think Moriarty now has this like new awareness and sentience. And I equate him now very much to the three human popsicles we had in the neutral zone at the end of season one, because Mm -hmm. now you are like a part of this whole new world that you weren't supposed to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And if you can leave the holodeck, like he said, he's like, I, I'm not interested in my like nefarious plans. Like I kind of just want to learn and explore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's that same thing where it's like, gosh, now I have seemingly unlimited resources and I can just explore my universe. And that, I mean, that seems pretty cool. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And for those of you who are following along on the show for the first time along with us, welcome. You're in for an exciting ride. Yeah. You know, Andrea often said in season one, like, man, I wish we had a, where are they now episode? We could see what happened to these people. What happened to these alien cultures? What, what happens next? And we just don't ever find out. But the really exciting thing is we do find out about Moriarty. We're not going to spoil it for you if you're watching it for the first time. But he does come back in a couple of seasons. Mm -hmm. And we do do a Where Are You Now, which is really cool because we don't get that closure almost ever for any of the the storylines. Oh my God. You're absolutely right. We do get the, where are they now? And it's, and it's great. It's that second and episode. Really cool. It's actually, yes. like, it's, it's actually an episode I like way better than this episode. And oh. I like this episode, but I like that one even more because you get the closure. 
Ah, that one gives me anxiety for different reasons, but I'll get into that when we talk about it in like two more years. But you're right. We do get, we do get like to touch base with him because at the end of this episode, Picard explains that in the 24th century, man has discovered that energy and matter are interchangeable. So the holodeck converts energy into matter to create Mm -hmm. these scenes and the characters and everything you see. Mm -hmm. So Picard promises not to delete the program. Rather do. Yes, but he decides to save Moriarty's character, uh, you know, just like in a computer data database, until such a time as they can figure out for a way for Moriarty to exist, like outside the holodeck. So mm-hmm. Moriarty is kind of accepting of his fate, like, I know that I am more, but there's no technology currently around to, like, allow me to leave. So, okay, I guess... I'm and not, he actually I, you know, was going to self-sacrifice because he told Picard, he was like, so there's no way for me to leave. Like, either I, you know, you guys find a way for me to leave or I have to be deleted. And Picard was just like, pretty much like, that's it. And so Moriarty kind of thought about it and he's like, all right. So then deleted it is. And he opens the arch and he releases computer controls mm-hmm. back to the main computer. And he kind of gives Picard his ship back and he's like, all right, delete me away. So he was yeah. willing to be like, well, if I can't exist outside of this world this is not a real world to exist inside of either. And so Picard kind of makes that concession of like, well, wait a minute. We don't have to delete you. We don't have to delete the program. We'll just save you. And maybe someday there'll be something we can do. Um, but let's let's have a third option, which is like such a such a Picard thing to do, right? That's like a, such a diplomatic thing instead of just a yes or no. It's like yes. a third option. I like that a lot about Picard because he is understanding of Moriarty's predicament. And I, and I really, I appreciate that about Captain Picard because he's not just like, well, you've been a pain in my ass for the last mm-hmm. like week or whatever. Like delete. delete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like we can do something for you, but it's going to take a little while. So that, that was actually really nice. So they restore, you know, he restores power and, and navigation control and all that to the enterprise bridge and all's well that ends well. And he kind of is saved in the computer. And, and I love this last scene where Picard comes to main engineering and Jordy is sort of fixing any little minor like things that kind of went astray like when when Moriarty shook the ship like the Mm -hmm. HMS victory model that he built kind of like got rattled and he's like ah Mm -hmm. like one or two things like kind of got loose but I'm fixing them and Picard says don't worry soon she'll be ship shape and Bristol fashion Mm -hmm. and I went okay I have to find out (laughs) what Bristol fashion means so Ship shape, I mean, we understand it's like, I want you in ship shape. It's like tip-top condition. But Mm -hmm. Bristol fashion, I was like, what the hell does that mean? So Bristol was around that time when Sherlock was very popular in like the late 1800s. Bristol was the most prosperous port of West Coast Britain. Mm. So it was this like super prosperous port. Everything was in like perfect working order. So you don't want to just go like powering in to Bristol port looking all raggedy and stuff. Cause it's like, you know, it's like driving it's into like, Rodeo drive yeah, and looking, okay. you know, in my yoga pants, it's like, it's like mm. Hollywood Boulevard or something. Yes. Yes. So also the term may have developed because Bristol's tide change is the second highest in the world. The tide shifts from low tide to high tide more than 50 feet. So that's a wow. humongous change. Cause the t- tides usually change like a number of inches to like one to two feet like a three foot tide change is huge so 43 feet is like massive so ships that were moored in the area when the tide went out the ships would be run aground and would like tilt over to one side so if everything was not stowed away and tied down like exactly in its place everything would fall off the shelves and break and so when you got back into the ship it'd be like a disaster in there so Mm -hmm. if, if you were going into bristol you had to have everything like 
perfectly in its place, exactly like tied down, everything kind of like locked away and Mm -hmm. stowed away. So that was Bristol fashion. Interesting. Interesting. Right? I was like, what? And as a marine (laughs) biologist, I was like, tide fluctuations, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) You had me at tide. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so that was cool. And I like how how, um, Picard gives like a, a short kind of definition of what he means by it, of just saying, you know, it just means everything in perfect working order. Mm-hmm. And he looks at Jordy and he's just like, just like we are, you know, because yeah. Jordy was feeling bad about his misspeaking that one word and how it could have destroyed the entire ship. Um, and Picard's just very forgiving. It kind of reminds me of that episode with the kid who was running away to the space circus. Season <laughs> one, you know, and at the end, how Picard's like, come here, son, let's talk about this. You yes. know, just kind of have that moment of like, we're good. Like, yes, we've, we've talked and now we're good was very cool yeah and and that same episode which was coming of age in season one not only does jake try to run off but remember wesley doesn't make it into starfleet Mm -hmm. um starfleet academy or thank you i was like college (laughs) (laughs) so he didn't make it into the academy and picard kind of has just that little moment too where he's like um i also didn't pass my first time so he does have those like the picard is fatherly mentory moments even though he doesn't consider himself to be good with kids or like fatherly Mm -hmm. in any way shape or form being the head of a compliment of like a thousand people yeah he's basically their dad right he is this like fatherly figure that people look up to and so seeing these little moments of him saying stuff that's just kind of affirming is really cool it is it is very cool and i love that we see picard going from this like cold and clipped character in in the beginning of season 1 to like he's kind of sort of spreading himself out a little bit and kind of like mm-hmm. finding a space for picard to be this like authority figure but also like reassuring of his crew members when they need it mm-hmm. which i think i and and you know when people say like oh he's a father figure let's not forget there are many many types of father figures and you don't have to be just like playing catch in the backyard to be a father mm-hmm. you know what i mean like there's right. a lot of ways to do it right and he and he does a beautiful job here and i love it um do you have any final thoughts about this super fun episode I, we weren't very snarky but it's just it was just so good like we were just <laughs> fangirling over it I think our next, I think our episode next week, we're going to bring a lot of the snark back. So for those of you who love the snark, don't worry, it's coming. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this episode just made me excited for the next follow-up of this episode because Mm -hmm. I just, I really like that one. I think it's so interesting. I think it's so interesting. And that's where they really have, because I don't think that's until season five, maybe, but they really dial in what the holodeck can and cannot do. Yes. By the time we get to that episode. And in that episode, one of the characters is really breaking down how it works and the technology. And he's an engineer and he knows all the different parts. Um, and so I, That's this where, episode just kind of like, yeah, got me excited. That is where we're going to have you break it down because we're going to have to start a segment called like Sharice knows shit or something because <laughs> you do these like epic breakdowns of like the technology. I love it. Uh, my final thought on this episode as I was sort of writing my review was, you know, the problem was resolved so quickly and like anticlimactically. I was like, God, I feel like this, this, the ending to the episode feels like a two part episode back to back would have really worked, but I guess you're right. We do kind of get a two parter, Mm -hmm. but just one is in season two and one is in like season five, maybe. Yeah. -hmm. Yeah, So it's, it's, it is a two parter. I agree with you. I think we could have way more drama. Like the drama could have been turned way up in this episode. 
but they're still playing around with their flow. This is just barely season two. Like we're barely into season two. So they're still kind of getting their sea legs. And I think by that next episode, that's in season five, we have all of that. Like the dramas turn way up. The stakes are super high. The like, like it's actually a really compelling story. Um, And I think that's what this could have been, but not yet because they're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, Guys, I think that I think we've done it. I mean, if you are sort of new to Star Trek TNG and you're kind of picking and choosing some episodes, do not give this one a skip. It is like one of the best Star Trek The Next Generation episodes, in my opinion. And I think certainly one of the best in season two, which season two is way better than season one, but still not as great as like the show becomes in like mm-hmm. later seasons. You know, it's still it's still building, but oh my God, skip next week's. It, blows <laughs> but this one is amazing it's it's amazing um on that note though next week we're talking about season two episode four the outrageous okona and the snark is coming back big time Cherise. yes thanks for hanging out with us bye guys thanks for geeking out with us be sure to join the crew at the tngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.